Welcome back once again to everyone in America, everyone in Israel, and everyone around the globe. My name is David Frankel, and as the Executive Director of Ortor Stone North America, it gives me great pleasure to welcome everyone to this, the sixth shear in our OTS Presents Zoom series. Thus far, we've enjoyed Shi'urim from President and Rosh Yeshiva of Ortor Stone, Rabbi Dr. Kenneth Brander. We've also enjoyed Shi'urim from Rabbanit Sally Mayer, Rabbi David Brofsky, and Rabbanit Shira Mervis. The publicity will go out soon for next week's Wednesday Shear, which I'm pleased to announce will be delivered by Rabbanit Nomi Berman, the Rosh Beit Midrash of Ortor Stone's Midrash at Lindenbaum. The title of next week's Shear is Jerusalem the Golden, the Religious Revolution of Shlomo HaMelech. Again, that will be next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon. Eastern Standard Time. Today's shear is dedicated in the memory of those precious souls we've lost to COVID-19. And as a segula for the Rafua Shlema of those who are fighting this terrible, terrible illness. For those who weren't with us last week, you may be noticing that the format for today's get together is a bit different from some of our previous shu'urim. We've been experimenting with a Zoom webinar format instead of the usual Zoom meeting format. Even though we don't get to see one another, the webinar format eliminates the risk of Zoom bombing while also making it easier for more people to attend. For those who've joined by computer, you'll notice a Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. If you have a question during this year, feel free to send it to us using the Q&A button. I will be monitoring your questions during this year, and so as not to avoid breaking the flow of our speaker's presentation, I will relay your questions to the Magid Shir at the very end. Let me also take this opportunity to thank a few of my Or Torstone colleagues who've worked behind the scenes to help coordinate today's get together. Much thanks to David Katz and Sima Friedman, Yishai Hughes and Rabbi Chaim Kentorovitz, Yoni Riskin, my Zoom mentor, Dina Angstreich, and of course, Rabbi Brander. Now, with your permission, it gives me great pleasure to introduce today's Magid Shir. For more than a half a century, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin has been one of the Jewish community's most articulate and most beloved spokespeople for a Judaism of warmth and inclusion, vibrancy and renewal. This is reflected in the depth and expansive reach of his Torah, his enormous influence on the global Jewish outreach movement, his founding leadership of Manhattan's famed Lincoln Square Synagogue, his historic activism in support of Soviet Jewry, his decades of religious and legal battling on behalf of Agunot, his visionary leadership as the founding chief rabbi of Efrat, and his Herculean role as the founder and chief architect of the International Or Torah Stone Network. His entire life has been dedicated to the Jewish people and the state of Israel. And for those who know and love him, Rabbi Riskin is best described by us as a living Sefer Torah. Ladies and gentlemen, with great respect and admiration, I turn over the virtual podium to Rabbi Shlomo Riskin. Rabbi Riskin, the Kavod. As far as the sanctity of Israel is concerned, that sanctity is dependent upon the Jewish people living in Israel. And once 
the Jewish people were removed from the land of Israel. Batel Hakibush. Their initial conquest of the land becomes nullified. And no longer is there a special Kedusha, a special sanctity to the land of Israel without the Jewish people on it. Hence, the Rambam is giving us some very important concepts here. The Rambam is saying, in effect, that the sanctity of Eretz Israel is dependent upon the people of Israel living in, living upon. Whereas the sanctity of Yerushalayim is the sanctity of the divine presence, and that's an eternal sanctity. In order to understand more clearly, because I don't expect you to understand it at this point, in order to understand it more clearly, and not just use the verbiage, sanctity of Jewish people and sanctity of Shekhinah, in order to try to understand what this really, really means, it means to say, it's very important to look at the Chumash, I'm sorry, to look at the Sidur, to look at our Tfilot, and to look at the place in the tefillah, the Amidah, which discusses the land of Israel, and the place in the Amidah, the Brachot, which discuss Yerushalayim. First of all, Barech Aleinu Hashem Elokeinu et Hashana Hazot v'yat kominek fuatach v'tovah. Please, Lord our God, Give blessing to this year and to call Tvuata the Tova, all of its grains, all of its produce for good. There's only one time, one kind of place in the Torah, and it speaks about a place with goods that is good. And that's Eretz Yisrael because of the fruits, grains, vegetables, which are in Eretz Yisrael. We had called for a tahle tova. The ten bracha alpneha adama and give your blessing to the face of the earth, the land of Israel. Once again, the word, v'sabeinu mituva. And that's the correct version and satisfy us with the goodness of the land. That's the first blessing. The second blessing. Sound the great shofar sound for our freedom. And lift up the banner which will gather all of our exiles. And gather us together from the four corners of the earth. Blessed are you, O God, who gathers together the scattered of his nation Israel. Two things are in this blessing. 
sustenance, physical sustenance, and bringing together all of the exiles, security for the Jewish people within the boundaries of the country. So clearly, these are the two blessings of Eretz Yisrael. It provides food, sustenance, natural resources for the people on it, Israel, and security, secure borders for the people who live in it for protection. This is the sanctity of Israel, land of Israel. What about Yerushalayim? Yerushalayim iracha berachamim tashuv. Jerusalem, your city, please God, with compassion, return to it. The other two blessings dealt with the people of Israel, what they got from the land of Israel. This blessing of Yerushalayim says at the outset it's not Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, but it's the land of Shekhinah, it's the land of God. And as quickly as possible, please God, set straight the seat of King David. That's sovereignty. And you, God, the Shechina, dwell in it, as you have said you would. And build it for an everlasting building. Blessed are you, O God, the builder of Jerusalem. So this is God who will ultimately rule in Jerusalem. We want this to be immediate. And the blessing is basically the blessing of God's seat in Jerusalem. God, the sovereign ruler over the and then we ask that the Messiah come, sprout from David, and the Messiah will come, obviously, that's our dream, then the world will be redeemed, all of humanity will be redeemed, and that is fundamentally the task of the Jewish people. And through us, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, this is expressed in many places, especially amongst the prophets. But let me read to you from Yeshayahu Peret where it's most obvious. Hadavar Asher Chazai Yeshayahu Ben Amot Sal Yerushalayim, the Prophecy, which Isaiah saw, it will happen at the end of the days. 
נכון יהיה בית השם בראש ההרים, God's house will be structured and secure on top of the mountains, and the Sarmikvaot will rise from, from the hills, and all of the gentle Gentiles will rush to that place. And many nations will come there. They will say, let's go up to the mountain of God. Again, it's not the mountain of Israel, but it's the mountain of God. Yorenu midrachav and let us learn from his ways, v'nelchaba orchotav and walk in his paths, ki mitzion teitzei Torah u'gevar Hashem li'ushalayim, from Zion shall come forth Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem to the entire world. And this is Isaiah. And this is fundamentally our very important belief and the mission of the people of Israel. Through Israel, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That really is the task of Israel, especially now that we have the land of Israel. Therefore, it becomes very interesting. According to the Ramban, Pesach to Shavuot is one long festival, beginning with Pesach and concluding with Shavuot. Pesach, the promised the land of Israel, but we're not giving the land of Israel. Pesach is the festival of our freedom, but not yet our national independence. Our national independence is promised to us on Pesach. Shavuot, Chag HaBikurim, the festival of the first fruits. There we have national independence, Dam Israel, living in Eretz Israel, with the Beit HaMikdash at its center. What is very, very important to understand uh, the land of Israel is a gift to the people of Israel. As long as the people of Israel live on it, live, live on the land, and it gives them their produce, and it provides them with security, land has sanctity. Of course, the sanctity is derived from the nation was promised that land. We no longer have it. It's taken away from us. It no longer has sight. Fascinating. The sanctity returned, says the Rambam, when Ezra returned with his people to Mesechet Chala. Likewise, very fascinating. The Talmud says that likewise, when the Jews are mitnachalim, when the Jews will settle in 
places in the land of Israel. In accord with their settlement will come sanctity. But the sanctity is completely dependent upon Israel One of the most important reasons that I wanted so much to involve the Udabashonon in settling the Udabashonon because of this factor. Until we were able to live there, and until we began to live there, there was no sense. Different is Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the Beta. Jerusalem and the Beit HaMikdash is not dependent on any people because it's dependent really on Shkiyah. But whereas the task of Eretz Yisrael is to serve for nutrition and security in the Jewish nation, task of Jerusalem is Kibitzion Tetzei Torah Hashem Yerushalayim for the word of God to come out from Jerusalem to the entire world. God's word. That's the function of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is always holy and sacred because it is God's city. Shechina is always there, even though it's also always in the, in the diaspora. It's everywhere, here, there, and everywhere. But whereas the function that Israel performs in the land is limited to the Jewish nation, the function that Jerusalem is to perform is to lead the Jewish nation to teach entire world of God's Torah, according to Yeshayahu, according to the Rambam, the end of Malachim, the entire Torah, all of its doors, according to Micha, chapter 4, the ethics of the But that is the task of Yerushalayim. The sanctity of Jerusalem is always there, no matter what, because it is the sanctity given to it by the Shekhinah, and the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, is always there. I want to make one more point. Shayao, chapter 40. We just read chapter 2, chapter 40. A very fascinating, fascinating opening verse. This is Shabbat Nachamu, after the destruction. We always read this particular Haftorah, this chapter. Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my nation. Dabru alev 
Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. To the heart of Jerusalem. Fascinating. And Lev Yerushalayim is used in that verse as a compound noun. Heart is the essence of Jerusalem. Let me explain to you what I really believe this means. For me, one of the most important verses in the entire Torah is in the beginning of creation. The creation of the human being. And how God created the human being. And the Lord God formed the human being just from the earth. And he exhaled, breathed into the nostrils of this clay dummy, the earthy aspect of creation, which was like a clay dummy, metaphorically speaking. God breathed into this clay dummy, the soul breath of life. The human being became a living organism. the only interpretation, translation of the Bible that has the imprimatur of Chazal. Targum made it very clear. Ruach Mamalala. Nefesh Chaya means a communicating spirit. God is able to communicate with people. People are able to communicate with God and other people. And that is what makes the human being so special. He can give spiritual communication. Let me go a little bit further so I explain this as best as I can. If one were to ask me to try to give some kind of definitional understanding of God, and this I've said often, the ineffable name of God one that is most usual within Tanakh is the eternal God, but really the loving God, the loving Lord God. Yudke fundamentally means love. It's very interesting. Hey, Vav, Hey. Hey, Vav, Hey. That seems to be the basic verb. Hey, Vav, Hey is the same as Hey, Vet, Hey. Vet 
and love switch. Lust and hunger. Same kind, same word, same meanings. One with a love and one with a bet. So hey vav hey is similar to hey bet hey. Of course, that is ahava, the God of love. And that's exactly what Chazal said. God is rachamim. God is compassionate love. The kind of love, selfish love, that a mother has for the child that she bears. So God is love. First and foremost, God is love. If God is love, then I understand why God is heart. Then I understand why Dabru Elay Yerushalayim, if Yerushalayim is basically the seat of God's throne, if the Shekhinah is identified with Yerushalayim, then the Shekhinah is likewise identified with love. And that's why Elay Yerushalayim has become a compound now. It's more than that. Definition of love is giving. Hav is also the small word within the larger word ahava. Hav means to give. Rachel Ileinu said to Yaakov Avinu, Havali banim ovita anokhi. Give me children or I will die. She wants, she begs. God, that Yaakov give her a child. That's what she really wants. Have is give. Now let me make one more point. I said one of my favorite verses in the entire Torah. God exhaled into the nostrils of the clay dummy, the Aparamina Adama, the soul breath of life. Zora Kodosh says, quoted by the Tanya, Koman de Nafach, Mitochom, Mitochidutom, Beatsmiutom. Whoever exhales, exhales from his most inner being, from his most innermost essence. When God created the first human being, by exhaling out that image of that image which is very difficult to put on canvas, but is the image of the Torah, is that God created the human being by giving of himself as it were, his internal essence as it were, by giving part of himself. 
say to me, the essence of God is heart. When a person exhales, he exhales from his lungs and from his heart. Lungs also enable us to speak. That's the exhalation that comes with speech from the lungs. That's why the human being is a spirit who speaks. The heart and the lungs always are united together. And have the kind of relationship that each requires the other desperately in the biological point. And therefore, what we really see within the Torah very, very clearly is God gave of himself, created the human being as an act of love. Created the human being as an act of love and placed within every human being a part of himself. That is why the great Rabbi Akiva says, you must love your friend like yourself. Your friend, Rea, means your fellow human being. Like you love yourself, I am the God of love. And just as I created you by loving you and giving of myself to you, you must continue to love every other human being by giving to them and by showing them that you feel part of them. I go one step further. You see, Ezra says it very well. You shall love your fellow human being like you love yourself. There are really three interpretations within Chazal, each not like the other. One interpretation, who is Reacha? Reacha, your friend, is your fellow Orthodox Jew. Other interpretation, who is Reacha? Fellow Jew. The third interpretation in Ibn Ezra, which I believe is the correct interpretation, it means every human being in the world. Every human being in the world. And Ibn Ezra says, how do I know that's the real interpretation? Because the end of that verse is, I am the Lord of God. Now that is a rule to love your friend like yourself. What is, what is God doing in the passage? It's says magnificently, I created all of you as one. 
because there is a part of me within every human being. Every human being shares that part. Every human being has a very special and unique DNA, the Bar Nishmat Elokit, a part of the soul breath of God. And therefore, all human beings have DNA of God. Therefore, all human beings are siblings. And therefore, all human beings must love each other as siblings should. We are all part of the divine. Once you understand that, then you understand very, very carefully why it is, very completely why it is, the importance of teaching God's Torah, which he wanted to give to the entire world. Why was the Torah given, says the Midrash Mount Sinai, which is Galut, which is a desert, which is a parousia, which is a wild no man's land. Why wasn't it given Mount Moriah? The answer being, the answer being, because if it were given to Mount Moriah, the Jews would say to the Gentiles, you have no part in the Torah. It's our Torah which we receive from God. It was given not at Mount Moriah, but for Chutzlats, in the Sinai Desert, to show that the Torah initially was meant for everyone. And when God chose Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God said clearly to Abraham about the future of the Jewish people, there will be a very great nation, all the Jews, all the families of the earth must be blessed because God created every human being with his heart, soul, and breath. And therefore, all human beings are connected. And therefore, all human beings must brought back to God. Redemption will never be complete without that. And that's why Shavuot will be Megillat Ruth. Because Megillat Ruth speaks of a convert who is not biologically Jewish. And she's the heroine of the entire story. And she's the heroine of the story because that's the goal of Shavuot. That's the goal of Judaism. To teach the entire world to accept at least the ethics of God's story. Fundamentally, this is the story. I have another five minutes. I would very much like 
code. It's a very important point about the days of Sphira and this idea of necessity in our world, loving each other as we bring everyone into the Shina of the Kedusha of Yerushalayim. It's amazing. During this period of Svirata Omer, unfortunately, we lost many, many people. And therefore, this period has become not only a period of anticipation for having received the Torah, anticipation for bringing more and more people to God, but the Bamot Samachbet, Shnei Masar Elef Zugim Talmidim Hayun Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students. So they all died. Why did they die? The Talmud gives a moral reason why they died. They didn't treat each other with proper respect. They didn't love each other. There's a physical reason that's also given. And the physical reason which is given usually is plague. It is plague. Quran has killed 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva. However, there are no parallel sources of the And Rabbi Shri Ragon says, I think most correctly, that they died because they were killed in the Valley. That's why they died. They didn't really respect each other. Because, first of all, there were great grave arguments within the Jewish people. Should they fight or should they not fight? Should they be ready to give up their lives or not necessarily so? There's an amazing dialogue. But Yochanan ben Zakr, He had to make a statement about whether to rebel or not to rebel against Rome. Met with the emperor, he came to a very interesting kind of agreement. He said, Let me have the city of Yavna, the wise men of Yavna. The judges in Yavna, Chazal, rabbis, Be'anim, judges, I'll give up the dream of Yerushalayim, which is the dream of Yerushalayim. I'll give up that dream. Rabbi Akiva, who understood the Ahav to the Reacha Kamocha, the 
whole world. And that's the real reunification of the Sometimes God turns the wise people backwards and makes their wisdom foolishness. Very strong words. Not respectable words. Very strong words. Rabbi Riskin, I'm sorry to, I'm always embarrassed to, to, to cut off a Magid Shir, especially someone of your stature. We do have a couple questions in response to your Shir. Would now be an appropriate time for me to ask them on behalf of the, uh, the Olam? Yes, it'll be a fine time for you to ask them. I'll just make one final comment. What we learned from Rabbi Akiva, especially in his dying breath with Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Yechad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one over the entire world. And therefore, he ends his life. Adjuring the Jewish people never to forget our responsibility to try to teach the world that's the dream of redemption. That's the dream of Shavuot. That's really Yerushalayim in its most profound sense. So I'll be glad to hear your question. Thank you, Rabbi. So uh, again, on behalf of everyone um, who is with us today from the United States and Israel and parts between, we are enormously grateful to spend time with you and to learn from your Torah. It's always a very special treat. And we also apologize to the few people who had some difficulty with the volume of the shear. We'll try to address that in the future. I want to coalesce the questions we received into essentially two, because they tended to have two, um, two themes. Um, and they're from both halves, the front and the back half of your shear. And I'll try to put them into my words, but I think this captures the essence of what people want to know your thoughts on. Um, the, the pasuk that you quoted, Yerushalayim Ircha Barachamim Tashuv. The question was, if the Shechina is always in Yerushalayim, what is returning? Who it, it, it's it, who is returning? What is returning if the Shechina is always there? That's the first question they asked, and I'll, and I'll save my second one till after. That's an excellent question. I thought about it very often myself. <laughs> And what it means is we have to recognize the Shekhinah is Yerushalayim. In other words, the Shekhinah is always there. As I said, it's here, there, and everywhere. The point is we have to recognize its being there. That recognition means we have to make certain that the Torah is taught to everyone. And that Yerushalayim is the place from whence the Torah is taught to everyone. That will enable the Shekhinah to really be complete because each of us have a part of God that has to be realized. So that's what it means. Thank you, Rabbi. The other question that, that many people asked, again, my words, not theirs, but essentially, Rabbi Kiva, for whom 
you quoted, and it's so well known, the Biahaftalirecha Kamocha that we associate with Rabbi Kiva. Is that Rabbi Kiva's response to what happens to his students? Or did his students know that that's what he stood for before this terrible calamity befell his students? No, I don't think so. Right, right. I don't think so. I think that was the student's responses. response. I'm going to say something which is perhaps a bit daring. I expect nothing less from the rabbi. But I think that was the response that unfortunately came to the way Rabbi Akiva spoke to Rabbi Yochanan ben to say about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was trying, only trying so very hard to give the Jews at least something and to save Jewish lives, it may have not been correct. Maybe he should have thought. But I believe the history tells us and his, the fact that and those were very strong. Rabbi, as always, it's, as I said, it's a pleasure to spend time with you and to learn from your Torah. And on behalf of a very grateful audience from all parts, north, south, east, and west, we thank you. We wish only good things for you and for your family. We look forward to learning more Torah from you in the future. And we're going to sign off now by reminding everyone to rejoin us again next week for our next year with Rabbanit Berman. And we thank you, and we wish you only the very best. My pleasure. All the best. Take care, Rabbi. Koltu. Thank you, everybody.